Good morning to everybody online. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms here with us uh, today. Well, if you follow Cardinals baseball, you know that the beginning of the season has been a source of great depression, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> you also know that uh, Cardinal legendary broadcaster Mike Shannon died a few weeks ago. And uh, if you follow baseball at all, you know the voice of Mike Shannon kind of signaled the beginning of spring, right? We marked our days by hearing his voice and knowing that baseball was back, spring was coming, and all was well with the world. Fifty years he broadcast Cardinal baseball games. And I was telling my kids, it's kind of this link. My grandfather was still alive, and he listened to every game on the radio. That's when I learned to love Cardinal baseball, hearing the voice. I was 11 years old when he started broadcasting, 50 years. And uh, Mike Shannon was one of a kind, was he not? He, there was no other broadcaster like him. In fact, folks who would listen to him from other teams or other places would say, what's with this guy? I, he was just different. He was not slick. He, was, he didn't have the golden voice of a Jack Buck. You know, he, he was himself. And uh, Mike Shannon, though, he was, he was just absolutely lovable. We all loved Mike Shannon. And he was known for saying things who were just a little bit, say, off-center or just quite not right. You know, uh, they, they, these became known as Shannonisms. Uh, there were the baseball ones, like old Abner has done it again. You know, that one, the double play, that's the old wholesaler, two for the price of one. And then there were just these things that he would say, and you just shake your head and say, that's Mike Shannon. Like, um, he said, I just want to tell everyone happy Easter. And to our Jewish friends, happy Hanukkah. <laughs> About a fast baseball player, he said he's faster than a chicken being chased by Ronald McDonald. Back in the day when I played, a pitcher had three pitches, fastball, a curveball, slider, a changeup, and a good sinker pitch. <laughs> the wind switched 360 degrees. <laughs> a couple of strips of bacon at breakfast, and he would have busted that ball out of here when the ball landed at the warning track. The right-hander is throwing up in the bullpen. Or this one. Uh, he's talking about tomorrow's broadcast. We're in, there's this long pause, Cincinnapolis, Ohio tomorrow night. <laughs> we always had this theory, Mike loved his bush beer. <laughs> By about the ninth inning, he had way too much to drink. Our next homestand follows the road trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, boy, there's something about a hot dog and a baseball game. <laughs> if you don't like hot dogs, you think, hey, I love a hot dog and a cold, frosty Budweiser. That was Mike Shannon. And, and you, just, you just had to love him. There was nobody like him. And I, I don't know if he ever went to broadcasting school. I don't think he did. He was a baseball player. And he, his stories and his wit and, yes, his Shannonisms just made us love him all the more. And I'm glad that Mike Shannon was Mike Shannon. And that he didn't try to become something that he was, wasn't. You know, the reality is we, we live in a world where we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. And we're constantly being compared to others. Whatever it is that you do, whatever kind of occupation, whatever it is you do in your life, there is always this um, kind of reality of being compared to somebody else and being marked up or marked down. And uh, it can get toxic at times especially with the presence of social media. That's why I don't get on social media a lot. A couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with um, one of our staff members, young mom, and she was telling me about the reality of mom shaming. I mean, moms, moms know what that's about. 
where you are critiqued and criticized and uh, uh, condemned because of some of the decisions you make. And moms have to make lots of decisions about lots of things. And she was saying, oh, yeah, it goes on all the time. Do I nurse, uh, do I nurse or do I bottle feed? Choose one or the other, you're going to get ripped by somebody. Uh, sleep training and scheduling, what kind of schedule you keep. Do notice that uh, today's parents with young children are much more regimented when it comes to schedule. Do you ever notice that when we were kids, like we, when, when we were kids, we were raising our kids, like whenever they got a nap, they got a nap when, you know, we just made it fit in. But today it's kind of regimented. If you're not regimented enough, you get taken a task for that. You get criticized. Uh, screen time. Like how much time do you allow your kids to screen, you know, to watch? Is it just a few minutes? Or is that like your child care plan for the day, you know? Um, public versus, oh, public school versus homeschooling versus private school. Oh, boy, that can get ugly. And if you choose one or the other, you're going to just get taken a task because of that. And it goes on and on. When, when you have your, if you have girls, when you get their ears pierced, potty training, all of that. She says, Mommy, mom shaming is just this big thing. And when I heard that, it really upset me. Because if, 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 if there's anyone who shouldn't be shamed, it's a mom. For all the reasons that you saw in that video that started the service, you know. Um, but it happens across the board. So I thought, you know, on this Mother's Day, let's, let's look at the opposite of that. Instead of shaming, let's, let's, let's just deal with the whole kind of foundation of that, the premise of that, which is comparisons. Whether it's motherhood or your occupation or your, your uh, path in school, or whatever it is you're doing, we're always prone to compare and be compared and to be torn down are to be built up because of that. So I want to I see, if there, is there a better way than the way of comparisons? Because we live with them all the time. Um, Paul has this, sometimes Paul, as he's teaching and giving instructions, he'll give little insight about things that were happening in his day and comparisons were going on then. Paul would often, uh, when he would start a church, he'd get it built up, he may stay for a while, sometimes other churches he'd stay longer, and then, then he'd leave and others would come in and teach. And then others would kind of, these traveling preachers would come along. And I think, I think at the heart of the matter is that they felt insecure. You know, behind a lot of comparisons and criticism is insecurity feel insecure about myself, so I'm going to criticize somebody else. So Paul would have these other teachers would come along, and they start tearing Paul down, and they start comparing themselves with the apostle Paul, if you can imagine that. And they say, you know, he's not really from around here. We're, we're, more, we're more of a local option, and this is really our, our field. And so Paul writes in this uh, part of this long letter we call 2 Corinthians, dealing with this whole reality of comparisons. And at the heart of what he says is when we compare ourselves, we're not wise. It's not the path of wisdom. There's a better way. There's a better way. And again, it's always been with us. Uh, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, did something similar, uh, had similar issues uh, in his day. John Wesley was a priest in the Anglican church, but but the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, and, and he and others started preaching out in the open air. Out of the field, hundreds of people would come. Thousands of people would come to hear the gospel of John Wesley. However, in those days, England had a parish system, and the Church of England was the official, and still is to this day, the, the official Church of England. And, and, and there were these parishes, and, and, and local Anglican clergy would complain, and they'd say, Wesley's in my territory. He shouldn't be in my territory preaching. And that led Wesley to say his famous line, the world is my parish. Because he had a calling of God on his life, and he wasn't 
going to let the criticisms of others um, keep him from doing the work that God, and Paul wasn't here as well. There is a better way. And Paul says it as he summarizes this section having to deal with those who are comparing themselves to him. He says, for it is not the one who commends himself. It's not the one who commends himself who is, com- who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Friends, the only approval that counts is the Lord's approval. The question is, do you live for that? And if so, you can tune out all of the other endless comparisons and criticisms and put your focus on doing what pleases him. And the great thing about pleasing God compared to all those voices on social media is that he's the one who loves you the most. And so the one who loves you the most, his opinion matters the most. So let's talk a little bit about comparisons and what happens. Or shall we say, really at the heart of that is living to please other people. When you live to please other people, a whole host of really negative things happen, I think, and come into our lives. First of all, you get hooked on validation. You get hooked because there's, there's something that happens, like that dopamine hit that happens in your brain. We've all learned about that, right? When somebody says, oh, that's so good, or they commend you, or you get a like on Facebook or whatever, uh, you can very easily get addicted to what other people think and, and live for them to commend you and, and say, job well done and all of that. And it happens when we're young. We do things to help, to get other people to like us, to get other people to approve of us. And sometimes we do stupid things. Now, I grew up in in St. Louis, and the public schools were K through 8, and then uh, high school, the four years of high school. But when I was about junior high age, there was this thing going around the boys, and it was really stupid. It was this forced fainting thing. Do any of you in my generation remember we would do that? Okay, you know, it would, it would involve like you, you would breathe real fast and then take a breath, hold it, and somebody else would come up behind you, squeeze you, and, and, until you fainted. Lovely. <laughs> and, and so we would do this. It was stupid. I mean, it was really stupid, but I went along with it because what? If I didn't, the, if I, the guys wouldn't like me. They wouldn't approve, so I would do that. It was the stupidest thing. Now, if any of you junior high kids do that, okay, you say, where did I learn it? In Pastor Ron's sermon, I'm going to haunt you, okay? (laughs) Don't you dare try that. It's stupid. But I was doing that because I wanted my buddies to like me. And every one of you can look back to junior high, middle school, some stupid things you did because you wanted other people to like you. My theory is we never leave junior high. It just changes. The subjects just change. And we, we want people to like us so badly and to approve of us. And friends, like I said, it becomes like a drug. I mean, they've shown that likes, the guy, poor guy that invented likes on Facebook, he thought he was going to spread cheer throughout the world. <laughs> oh, this is, is, is it hooks people to it. And if you don't get enough likes when you make that post, you feel bad about yourself. You get hooked on that stuff. Another, another negative thing that happen, happens when you try to please people is that you hide your true self. You ever known people like you never really know that person? Because they hide behind a facade, a fake smile, a mask. Because if they pull it down, maybe they're thinking, gosh, if I let you see who I really am, you're not going to like me. Another thing is, you'll, you'll forever compare. If you live to please people, go back to that, you'll forever be comparing yourself. And two things happen when you 
compare yourselves usually. It's either you're going to feel superior to others, you're going to feel kind of proud, or you're going to feel inferior. Your insecurities are all going to kick in. One of those things that happen when you live for comparisons. Um, and Jesus deals with this often in his teaching ministry. There were religious people during his day who were doing spiritual practices, not for the one who matters. They were not doing it unto the Lord. They were doing it to make other people think that they were spiritual. And so he devotes a whole chunk of time to this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 about uh, religious people trying to look spiritual. In other words, they're trying to please people in front of others. So in, in Matthew 6, he says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Then he skips down, he talks about prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen, what? By others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. And skip down to verse 16, talks about fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you. They've received their reward in full. Notice the commonality in all those verses. Others. You give to impress others. You pray to impress others. You fast to impress others. And he says, you've received, they've received their reward. What? If you want that slap on the back, hey, boy, you're spiritual. You got it. But there's a better way. And in the teaching, he says, no. Do this before the Lord. Do it unto him. Um, because you'll wind up, you'll wind up boasting. He says, boast in the Lord only. In verse 17 of this, uh, back of 2 Corinthians, he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Um, it's, it, let, let God's approval, let your boasting be about him, not about yourself, and certainly not to be seen by others. So he had to deal with that. It happens in the spiritual life. One of the dangers of, of our outward practices is that, is that we're really doing this to be to impress other people? And you might feel more spiritual because of that. Or you might feel less spiritual. You might feel inferior. That's, that's the other. If you're going to compare, you're going to maybe get filled with pride and feel better, feel in, superior. Are you going to feel inferior? Um, you're going to be down on yourself. And friends, we all do this. Read a, a couple years ago, Paul McCartney... Uh, gave an interview on NPR, and uh, there's maybe one of the greatest rock and roll um, artists in all time. Beatles had to be the greatest group ever, and um, you know, he's so many, so many accolades, he accomplished just about everything a musician could accomplish. Listen to this in this interview with NPR. He said, it se- This is what he said. He said, It seems to me, no, no matter how famous you are, no matter how accomplished or how many awards you get, you're always still thinking there's somebody out there better than you. I'm often reading a magazine and hear about somebody's new record. I think, oh, boy, that's going to be better than mine. And the interview said, but Sir Paul McCartney, you know, he was knighted, right? Sir Paul McCartney, you've had success in so many dimensions of music. 
you really feel a competitive insecurity with somebody else that's coming out with a record? He said, yeah, unfortunately. I should be able to look at my accolades and go, come on, Paul, that's enough. But there's still this little voice in the back of my brain that goes, no, 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 you could do better. That person over there is excelling. Try harder. You know, it can be intimidating. Now think about it. Here's Paul McCartney. And, he, and he's being, feeling insecure about someone else coming out with some really good music. If he feels that way, how much more? The rest of us. So maybe the wisdom lies in not comparing ourselves to begin with. Not worrying about the applause of others. Um, but to honor God. Your moms, God gave you your kids and you're responsible for your kids before God. And you have to make tough calls. You have to make decisions every day. And yeah, it involves some of those big things, you know, uh, about, you know, where are you going to send your kids to school or when you're going to stop nursing or are you going to begin nursing to begin with or all the decisions that moms have to make. And you can let the opinions of others drive you or you can simply say and seek God's honor. Lord, you gave me these kids and pray and live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Take responsibility for, for your actions and seek to, to please him in all that you do. And you know, there's, there's a joy that comes in that. See, the comparisons, they're joy killers. These people are constantly criticizing. And whether it's motherhood or whatever it may be, it'll take the joy out of your life. Because it's, as Paul says here, the, the, the critics, he mentions here, we are doing this to build you up. He says they're comparing us. They're not concerned about the spiritual, your spiritual welfare, Corinthians. They're not really worried about you. They're just worried about comparing themselves with me to make themselves feel better. So moms, you do the best thing for your kid and, and seek to honor the Lord in that. Use the right standards. When you live to, to please people, you'll use the wrong standards. Going back to Paul, he says, we don't dare to classify or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves, and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Ultimately, Paul's saying on everything, your life and the decisions you make in your life will be evaluated by the Lord and all that matters is his approval. This is something that Paul addresses on a number of occasions in his letters. Go to, go to Romans. And he says this to the church at Rome. He says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. That's not a judgment about heaven and hell. It's about our lives and how we did as followers of Jesus. He said, it's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. That verse and that concept um, is something I, I carry. And I want to be a guiding light in my life. Now, I've confessed in the past, I've, like many pastors, I struggle with people-pleasing. And God has, over the years, gradually, sometimes painfully, broken me of that. I'm not saying I'm still not tempted by that, but one thing that continually is before me is, God, 
what will you say on that last day about this thing that I'm going to do? Or how I'm leading LaCroix Church? What do you want me to do? What are you calling me to do? And friends, the same is true for every one of you. Whether you're a pastor, mom, whatever it is you do. One day you'll stand before the Lord. Remember, he's the one who loves you the most. And the one who loves you the most will evaluate your life and mine. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's ultimately, it doesn't matter what others think. It matters what he thinks. So when you live to please people, all these bad things happen. But here, what, what happens when you live to please the Lord? As Paul says, seek your commendation from him. I think you'll be your true self. You'll be the true person God made you to be. You'll really know your identity. Listen to this. Um, one of my favorite verses is from uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You hear that? That's an identity statement. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. That's your identity. I've done a series that's been many years ago on identity. I think we need to come back to that subject because I think as Americans today, we have uh, placed our identities in many of the wrong things, even as followers of Jesus. You're not a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. It's not the job you do. That's what you do. It's not who you are. Ultimately, not even a mom or a dad. Those are important roles. It's not the job you have, the money you make, the house you live in, the neighborhood, your race, your gender, your ethnicity. All those things matter, but that's not who you are. We are children of God. That is what we are. That's our identity. So if you've given yourself to Jesus, your true identity is his child. A friend of mine um, wrote a book about identity. He calls it The Thief Within and how there's so many voices and so many forces in this world that seek to steal our joy, seek to steal our true identity. And he summarizes it this way with these initials. He says, we're cogpal. If you know Jesus, you're a child of God, person of worth. That's who you are. We are the children of God. That is what we are. You live out of that, everything else is secondary. That's primary. It's not the one who commends himself who's approved. It's the one the Lord commends. And you'll have, um, you'll have security in that. See, all the other identities that we live into can be taken from us. All the other identities, you know, are, many are temporary. But this is eternal. This is permanent. This is who you really are, a child of God. And there's such beauty in that, such security. 
Because remember, this is the one who loves you. In the Song of Solomon, he says, his banner over us is love. God, just picture, God's celebrating you, and he puts over your head love. You are a, the beloved. When Jesus stepped into the waters of baptism, a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. And that statement of identity carried Jesus through his ministry of three, three and a half years. And it will us too. And as I was reflecting on the whole reality of mom shaming and the comparisons that happen and how our joy, mom's joys get stolen because they didn't do it this way or right this way. I, I started thinking of moms and I was upset for them that this would happen. Of course, it happens all across the board with comparisons. And I started thinking of my, my grandkids. I have six grandkids, four granddaughters. And um, one day, aren't they sweet? Yeah. There's Lucy and Emmy and Addie and Ellie. And one day, maybe they'll get married, and maybe they'll have children, and maybe they'll be moms one day. And I was listening to uh, this uh, several years ago. Um, Christy Knuckles, remember Christy Knuckles? We brought her here to sing. Great, great worship leader. Uh, she wrote this album of lullabies uh, for her kids, and she wrote this song for her daughter. And as I was listening to this, I thought, I want my granddaughters to really hear this. And then I, as I thought about this message, I thought, I want all the moms all the women, whether you're a mom or not, to hear this message in this simple lullaby that's going to be sung for us now. And the hero in the verses is none other than Jesus himself. Hey there, beautiful one. You there shining with glory. Would you let your heart hear if I sang about you? Did you know that every fairy tale you love, they have borrowed your story? Of a maiden so lovely and a hero so true. It's just that this world is hollow and it wants to swallow any memory of who you really are. Always remember to never forget when you look in the mirror, the answer is yes. Yes, you in the deep your heart is a diamond and your hero will do what it takes to find it so he can hold it tenderly and become your defender Lay down his life just to make your 
So always remember to never forget. Moms, hear that? What matters is God's, God's opinion, the Lord's opinion. And not just moms and ladies need to hear that, guys. What matters is whom the Lord commends. So live for the audience of one. It's where joy is found. It's where life is found. It's where your true identity is found in him because the only one, the only opinion that matters, the only approval that matters is the Lord's approval. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that um, you are the one that we will stand before one day to give an account of our lives 
We thank you because you are the one who gave your life for us. You loved us ultimately and completely, and you love us still. Forgive us when we are on the comparison side and we're tearing others down. Forgive us. And Lord, for those who have been torn down, may your grace prevail. And may our eyes be on you, not what others think or say. But on the one who loved us, thank you that we are the beloved, that that is who we are. We thank you. So may you give us grace to live out of that identity every day. And when we forget, may we remember. May you always remember to never forget. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.